Thanks for downloading the McKay interview. My newest guest is Ambassador Madame Marie-Thérèse Pictet-Altan. She is the permanent observer to the United Nations Office at Geneva of the Sovereign Military Order of Malta. Its motto being Defense of the Faith and Assistance to the Poor, we talk about the history of this ancient Catholic order, this sovereign entity, dating back to 1048 in Jerusalem and the good humanitarian work it does today around the world. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone. First of all, I must apologize for the sound of my voice. It's the side effects of medication that was administered to me yesterday, but it really is me in front of the microphone today, (laughs) and I'll do my best to... uh, for you to understand me as we have this fascinating conversation which is just about to start. Each generation likes to think of itself as more modern, more inventive, and more insightful than the one before, and I suppose that is only natural. I was 21 when Neil Armstrong first stepped onto the moon. What could be better than that, my student friends and I thought? Well, we all know the answer now, don't we? Things, at least most things, do get better and move on. But today I'm going to look back over centuries, quite literally centuries, about a millennium, in fact, to something lasting, which was founded to do good, to help the needy and those in distress, and is still doing that to this day. I'm in Geneva, and I'm on the special territory of the Sovereign Military Order of Malta, a uniquely special state, and I'm the guest of its ambassador, Madame Marie-Thérèse Pictet-Altham, at its permanent mission to the United Nations Office at Geneva, where for many years it has had the status of permanent observer. Your Excellency, thank you for inviting me and listeners to the McKay interview, to your permanent mission today. It's a real privilege to meet you. Thank you very much, Mr. Kay. I'm delighted to welcome you here. Um, As you said, uh, the Order of Malta is a rather special institution, so I'll be happy to explain that to your listeners. And uh, I look forward to discussing this with you now. Thank you. Ambassador, I'm not embarrassed so easily as I get older, (laughs) but I was embarrassed when the mutual friend who introduced us asked me what I knew about the Sovereign Military Order of Malta. Why was I embarrassed? Because I'm of the pre-Vatican II generation, raised in England as a Roman Catholic, and nephew of a Jamaican Jesuit priest. I should have known about it. Now I have the chance to redeem myself and learn about this unique an historic institution, thanks to meeting you. Ambassador, please tell me, what is the Sovereign Military Order's history? I gave a shortened version of its name. What is its full name? What does it do? Where does it do it? For example, in today's prominent war zones, trouble spots like the Ukraine, Yemen, Ethiopia, Myanmar, Syria, Congo. I'm just curious to know more about it. Well, first of all, uh, you asked the full name. Um, The formal name reflecting the Order of Malta's long history is, and I I quote now, Sovereign Hospitaller Military Order of St. John of Jerusalem, of Rhodes, and of Malta. The reason for this is that the order was founded in Jerusalem in the 11th century as the Order of St. John. The patron saint is is St. John the Baptist. Uh, It was founded by um, religious uh, members who created this 
uh, uh, order. And their mission from day one was tuitio fidei et obsequium pauperum, defense of the faith and care for the poor and the sick. No matter what religion, what race, without any discrimination. No exception. No, exception. no exceptions. <coughs> and that, of course, was unique in those days. Of course. Today, we all are, are, are striving to be absolutely, you know, uh, uh, to care for everybody without any discrimination. And that's in the human rights, of course, uh, one of the human rights that we uh, strive to, uh, we aim to put into practice. But it's not always easy, of exactly, course. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So that is that. So after Jerusalem fell, um, uh, the, the order moved its seat very briefly to Cyprus and then to Rhodes. Um, this was very important because uh, it had a territory now. It set up its own big hospital, and it also uh, built a naval fleet to defend. Christians, pilgrims, and so on, from the Ottomans. So this was around what period? This was in, Roughly. Uh, yes, uh, Rhodes was uh, in the uh, 16th century, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> um, and the, the hospital side of the order always remained wherever it was, settled, wherever it settled always hospitals looking after the sick, looking after the poor, etc. And as I said, in Rhodes then, uh, it, it, it became more military. They had a fleet, and then they were defeated by Suleiman the Magnificent in a famous battle. So they had to leave the island, and then after several years without a territory, Charles, Emperor Charles V gave them Malta and the surrounding islands. And this is the Holy Roman Emperor? Yes. Charles V. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, so uh, the, so the, the knights had remained in Rhodes until 1522, and then in 1530, they uh, took possession of the island of Malta. And uh, on that occasion, it was agreed that the order would remain neutral in any war between Christian nations. So they could only defend the faith, the against faith but not take up arms against other Christians. Sure. So um, during the Maltese period, the order uh, consolidated its legislative, its judiciary organization, and it already became similar to an autonomous subject uh, within the framework of the now international community. Sovereignty over Malta was exercised until June 1798, when Napoleon engaged in the Egyptian campaign, occupied the island, and forced the order to leave. Again, they were without a territory, but they then moved to Italy, and very soon uh, uh, settled in Rome. During that period, there was uh, the Congress of Vienna, there was the Treaty of Amiens, which both recognized uh, 
or, con or confirmed recognition of the order's sovereignty. Uh, it, so it, it retained its international sovereignty as recognized by the Treaty of Paris and the Congress of Vienna. Now, this new situation without a territory, without a population, could, of course, have been the yeah, end of the, the end order. Of exactly. <laughs> the end I, of the I order. You've got me on the edge of my seat here. Just to <laughs> tell, me, tell, me, tell me briefly as you can what so, that so happened. So I've got some more questions for you. <laughs> however, relieved of the difficulties <laughs> of temporal government and released from all military duties, uh, uh, the grandmasters who followed were able to build on the order's original mission to serve the sick and the poor. Good, good. So since 1834, the order has its headquarters in Rome, in the extraterritorial premises of uh, the Magistral Palace and the Magistral Villa on the Aventine. I see, I see, okay. So it's clear to me, Ambassador, there's, there's, there's a need. That's obvious it's in these difficult times. And to paraphrase... So Matthew, the poor are always with us, but please tell me of your association with the sovereign military order. Give me some examples of what you do at the United Nations here in Geneva, and does New York feature too? Yes, absolutely. Uh, New York is, is very important. So the order was officially invited by the United Nations General Assembly in 1994 by a resolution adopted by the General Assembly in 1994 to become a permanent observer. Uh, since then, we have full uh, permanent observer missions in New York, in Geneva, in Vienna, and other UN cities. Um, our main objective is to practice humanitarian multilateral diplomacy. Uh, that means that we concentrate on all the topics that influence our work around the world. For example? Yes. For example, here in Geneva, Geneva is considered the humanitarian capital of the world. So he, here in Geneva, we are very lucky because we have the Office of the High Commissioner for Refugees, the International Organization of Migration, uh, the World Health Organization. All these organizations are very important to us because we work with them on the ground, uh, helping refugees, migrants in the areas of health, of development, etc. So that is our role here at the mission, is to ensure uh, cooperation with all these organizations, to follow their work, to bring in our expertise uh, to the discussions, and in that sense, uh, to be part of the international humanitarian architecture. And that's appreciated by big organizations like the Red Cross and uh, Médecins Sans Frontières. They really value having No, Médecins Sans Frontières is an NGO. That's yeah, different. That's different, quite different. Yes, okay. we work with NGOs on the ground. I see. All kinds of N NGOs. Uh, so that's, that's quite You're normal. working with governments. But here we are, we are working uh, with the organizations which are uh, the members of which are governments. I see. Okay, I understand. The UN has, yeah. the UN's members are only governments. I understand. Then we have observers like us, like the Holy See, like, uh, like uh, the African Union, the sure. intergovernmental organizations. Sure. Okay. But we work with all these people, all these institutions. Ambassador, explain one thing that fascinates me. Explain how could you be a sovereign state without a territory? I mean, do you issue stamps and passports? Uh, and do you have your own currency as well? And are there more diplomats like you in other countries? Well, um, the. Uh, the Order of Malta occupies a very special place in international law. 
It is not a state, as you said, because it no longer has a territory nor citizens, and it is not an international organization because it wasn't created uh, as a result of an agreement between states. Yet it has a government. It has the capacity to enter into relations with states. And it is for this reason that the sovereignty of the order has known no interruption in spite of the loss of its territories of Rhodes and Malta. And you have passports too. And so, yes, we have passports, stamps, we even have coins, but they're for, for collecting. <laughs> you can't use them to pay anything, I don't think. So the, the sovereignty of the order of Malta and also the Holy See, in this case, derive from their own specific nature and not the traditional criteria of statehood. And I must ask you, are there other organizations like, like uh, yours around the world? Uh, no, it's you're unique. unique. It's unique. unique. It's unique. Fascinating. It has a unique, it really has a very unique place in international Fascinating. law. Fascinating. Yes. And so today, uh, the order is considered a sovereign entity under international law uh, as it has diplomatic relations with 112 states plus the European Union, permanent observer status at the, at the United Nations and many of its agencies, as well as other intergovernmental and international organizations. And as we said, it issues its own passports, its stamps, etc., and, <clears throat> and all that is done in at the seat of our government, the Grand Magistrate in Rome. I see. Well, for those of you just joining us, my guest today is Ambassador Madame Marie-Thérèse Pictet-Altan, permanent observer to the United Nations Geneva of the Sovereign Military Order of Malta. And we're talking about this historic sovereign state. Now, Ambassador, how is the Sovereign Military Order funded, and how is it led? So it's very, very decentralized. Uh, the order operates through grand priories, sub priories, and 48 national associations, 133 diplomatic missions, a world. Say the number again, 133. diplomatic uh, no, missions, no, because in addition to the 112 states who have, that have recognized us, we still have many multilateral missions and representations. With some states, we don't have full diplomatic relations, but we have delegations or representatives. Um, then we have a worldwide relief agency uh, called Malteser International, which is in charge of all uh, emergency relief around the world. And we have 33 national relief corps, uh, as well as numerous hospitals, medical centers, and, spe and specialist foundations. We have 13,500 members worldwide, knights and dames of the order, chaplains. Then we have nearly 100,000 trained volunteers and 42,000 employees, most of them medical, uh, me medical staff, medical personnel, etc. So the, the general budget of all that is around $2.3 billion. Uh, and who, who pays for that? So as it is very decentralized, each national entity has its own budget, its own projects, uh, and has to do its own fundraising. I see, okay. Mm. Uh, then we have our international relief agency, which is Maltese International. Its revenue sources come from, uh, from public sector grants, like for example, the European Union, which has the biggest humanitarian budget, uh, Germany, for example, the United States, 
then the United Nations, when we work on the ground with, for example, the High Commissioner for Refugees, uh, IOM, or, or the World Health Organization. Of course, the projects are sometimes funded by both, etc. So that, that then we have uh, we have donations, foundations, and also NGOs so contribute a whole range of possibilities. Yes. Uh, NGOs also contribute to Maltese International's uh, uh, activities. And then, of course, the Order's government in Rome is, uh, has also very different sources of financing, such as the revenue from the Order's remaining territories and properties in Italy. Um, then we have uh, contributions from all the Order's members to the government in Rome. And these are not necessarily religious. They, they are lay people and religious people. Uh, in the government? As the, as the, mem the membership. Oh, the membership. Uh, we are, um, there are only uh, 40 religious members in the order and out of the 13,500, all so the others are lay. So it's very small. Very small. I see. Very I see. small, yes, yes. It used to be only religious member when, when the order was founded. Sure, sure. Um, and now we are, we, uh, yes, yes. And how has it led? I mean... So we have it must have it must have somebody in charge. The grandmaster, yeah. grandmaster, yeah. the grandmaster is the head of the order. He now the constitution has just changed, so I'm not quite sure what the future will be. But the grand chancellor, uh, the grand master up to now was elected by um, um, religious members, presidents of national associations, who they had been elected by their members. So it was uh, it was you know it was a, a, a democratic process. And then uh, the, uh, there is uh, the Sovereign Council. We have four high charges. The Grand Commander in charge of religious uh, affairs, the Grand Chancellor, who is the head of the Executive Foreign Minister and Foreign Minister, the Grand Hospitaller, who is in charge of all our humanitarian activities in 120 countries, and, uh, and then the, uh, the Receiver of the Common Treasure, who is our Minister of Finance. Those are the four high charges, and they again are elected for a four, the, up to now it was a four-year period. So uh, that is high, and they come from all over the world. For example, to give you an example, uh, the outgoing government, the, the, the grand commander was Portuguese. Uh, the, uh, first of all, the, the last grandmaster was Italian, but he died sadly. Then the grand commander Portuguese, the grand chancellor German, the uh, Grand Hospitaller was French, and the uh, uh, receiver of the common treasure was Hungarian. So it's very international. Yeah. It has okay. been very international until now. And you, and you just mentioned very briefly yes, this is a new <coughs> constitution. What is the significance of Pro France's very recent promulgation of the new constitution? I read that Cardinal Silvano Tomasi, a guest on this show back in 2015, when he was the permanent observer of the Holy See to the UN Geneva, has been appointed in charge by Pope Francis. How will the new constitution improve people's lives? What difference will it make? Well, um, you know, every government has from time to time cha changes in their constitution. Uh, the, order, the order's strength is probably that it has always adapted through the centuries to modern times to the present time, and that is very important. That is probably one of the reasons it has survived so well. Um, it, is, it has survived exile, persecution, military defeats, loss of territory. You know, there have been, there have been lots of, lots of diff difficult situations. 
Now, the, the, since uh, the Second World War, there have been a number of uh, changes in the Constitution, 1953, 1961, 1997. Um, as for the Order's new Constitution promulgated on Saturday, the present head of the Order said, and I quote, the Pope has determined a path forward that promises to ensure the Order's future, both as a religious institute and a sovereign entity, unquote. So obviously the hope is that this new constitution will, uh, uh, will not only continue to help us carry out our very important um, uh, humanitarian work around the world, but also to streamline perhaps the organization, the institution, you know, I, I can't say more because I simply, it's, it only exists in Italian at the it's moment. It's just a few days old. It's only, yeah, <laughs> and I haven't seen no, it's not a problem. I was just curious because I saw, yeah, I saw yeah. Silvano Tomasi's name Ka in Carlo it. Carlo yeah. Tomasi is a long-time friend because he spent nearly 13 years here in Geneva, Francia, right. and <clears> we, we were not only colleagues, but we worked very closely together. I learned a lot from him, and we created the um, foundation Caritas in Veritate together to help our two missions with expertise in a number of fields when we work with the international organizations. So I have the highest respect for him and I, 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 I wish him well. I have another particular question for you, Ambassador. The Sovereign Military Order has a noble and aristocratic origins. You yourself come from an aristocratic Austrian background and married into one of Geneva and Switzerland's great families, I read. But what of nowadays? How exclusive is it in terms of its aristocratic connections? Well, the, um, the, the new constitution uh, has also apparently uh, brings a, a number of changes in that area. Formerly, the Grand Master had to, have, uh, had to uh, be of a noble family and um, uh, also several high charges. Uh, this, and there are different classes in the order, and according to that, uh, according to the nobility of your family, you were in different classes mm. in the order. Or, or no nobility. We have uh, the majority of our of our members are are are, are simple um, knights and dames. So the majority of them, I see. Okay. Yes. I, but yeah. this I understand is now changing, and uh, uh, the advantage is that these changes will also allow the grandmaster and other top posts to be se selected from among all uh, uh, professed knights, all religious knights and not simply from, uh, 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 from among the nobility. And that, I think, is very important. I believe Cardinal Tomasi said in an interview that uh, the, the, the nobility side was, uh, he didn't say out of date, but he said was no longer of that importance. And he's quite right. I can understand that, yeah, he's sure. He's quite right, because the result is if you're too restricted, you don't find the best people to take the important posts. That's Absolutely, yeah. And so I think that is a, you know, that is an important uh, point, and I, I'm sure everybody agrees with that. I don't believe mm. that anybody in the order is against that. Times know. change. Yeah. yeah, times change, and we have to adapt. And that is the strength of the order. It has always adapted. Ambassador, we're almost at the end of our fascinating conversation. One last question for you. Is the sovereign military order essentially reactive, or do you have a long-term plan, a long-term vision? 
were you, in a way, sitting there, and I don't mean this literally, <laughs> waiting for something to happen, as there's always something happening anyway in some trouble spot? How do you plan? So we have, uh, let's say, there are two, there are two aspects to your question. Uh, the first is, of course, our international emergency relief um, uh, organization, uh, Maltese International, has to react to disasters. For example, you saw the floods in Pakistan Absolutely. the other day. They were immediately in action. Sure. Uh, uh, in in, in um, uh, the Ukraine, we, we have an association in the Ukraine. We have immediately started work on the ground, and at the same time, all our associations in the neighboring countries, Poland, Lithuania, and everything else, all the, all the neighboring countries immediately started work to receive the refugees coming out of Ukraine. Yeah. So that, yeah. of course, you can only do that when the crisis hits. Of course. That, that has to be. Then, on the other hand, we have all our national associations and our long-term projects in the field, like in Africa. You mentioned the Republic, uh, Republic of the uh, Democratic Republic of the Congo. You mentioned Myanmar. Uh, those are long-term uh, uh, projects. The order has been in those countries for many years, working in the area of health care, of uh, uh, prevention of con conflict prevention, uh, disaster risk reduction, etc. Uh, after the tsunami, for example, we stayed for many years in Indonesia and in Sri Lanka to rebuild. So those are long-term uh, projects which we carry out because very often, you know, um, the... the um, the disaster hits, everybody comes in, but then they leave. Right. So we like to stay on to see the project so through. there for the long term. And give the, the population sustainable. That must be very encouraging with the local people. Yes, give the population sustainable uh, uh, prospects. Marvellous. And, and that, that is very important. And one thing I should also mention when you, you asked me about what we are doing here, a very important aspect of our work here is the inter-religious dialogue. Uh, with all, with everybody, that is uh, is very important because that brings on the ground resilience and peace, and that is something we do all over the world is interreligious dialogue. And that's quite different from the World Council of Churches. Yes. Yeah. Yes. For example, to give you one example, which was which was really a highlight, when our then Grand Master paid a state visit to Lebanon, our president of the association there managed to gather the religious leaders of. All the religions in Lebanon. Lebanon, and you know that there are many yes, religions. Yes, I know Lebanon. Lebanon. I mean, yeah. All the religious that's quite an achievement came and and had a dialogue, an interreligious dialogue around our grandmaster. That was a fantastic occasion. Absolutely, wow. and so you know, those are moments where you see that what you're doing every day is bringing fruit. Uh, and also in Lebanon, uh, the the nurses uh, we we work there with a, with a Shiite foundation. The nurses wear their Shiite. Uh, so they wear the insignia uh, of the. And they, and they have the Maltese cross. I see. I yes, see. the cross of the Order of Malta, which is the eight-pointed uh, cross. Yes. Just in closing, just tell me the story of the eight points because it has some significance. The, the eight the points of the cross. The Beatitudes from the, Beatitudes. the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount. Okay. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, It's yes, been an absolute yes. education uh, talking and listening to you. Thanks so much for your instructive answers to my questions. My guest today has been Ambassador Madame Marie-Thérèse Pictet-Altan, Permanent Observer to the United Nations Geneva of the Sovereign Military Order of Malta. Thank you once again. Thank you, Mr. McKay. I'm, I was very happy to, to uh, give this interview and um, 
Uh, we could have spoken for a long time, I fear. Easily. I feel because <laughs> you are so interested in the subject, and uh, that, of course, is always a pleasure to, uh, to, to, uh, to be with somebody who is interested in what you are doing. Uh, and I wish you all the best, and I wish all your listeners all the best, and thank you for your attention. Thank you, Ambassador. Thank you for listening. Please share the show with those around you. And if you have any questions or feedback, write to me at contact at I promise that I will reply to you.